Do you, do you want to kick off and tell us a little bit about who you are? Obviously, you're the, you're the serverless man, Jan. <laughs> um, I think that's how the industry knows Jan. But do you want to tell us um, a little bit about who you are, why you're here, and maybe some topics that we'll cover? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, my name is Jan Trey, and uh, I've been, I guess, working with AWS for quite a long time now. So yep. I think it's coming to about 10 years since I started using AWS. I remember very clearly that in those early days, they look at a console, there's about nine different icons. There's an icon, there's a picture of a service, a name and description. Yeah. And over the years, uh, the icon went away, descriptions went away, and now you've got like four different pages that you have to scroll down to see yeah. all the services. Um, um, so I was doing stuff on AWS, uh, running stuff at scale for quite a while. Yeah. And uh, I last, so last couple of years, I've been working mostly with serverless technology. Okay. By that, I mean, you know, Lambda yep. and other things that uh, you come to AWS. Okay. So I've uh, been doing a lot of that last three, four years. And uh, in, my, you know, in my spare time, I've also been sharing a lot of things that I've learned along the way. Yep. At this point, I've probably been written over 150 articles on various different aspects of yeah, uh, how to I was to up for hours last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I also got a video course with Manning uh, and a video course myself and okay. also now starting to work with uh, Peter Spassky and from uh, Cloud Guru and yep. there's uh, AJ from AWS, the project manager or well, product manager for uh, serverless uh, wow. on the second edition of their book, uh, Service Architectures on AWS. Okay. So I've been doing a lot of work in sort of community space. So yep. AWS made me one of their community heroes uh, yep. um, on the focus on a serverless space. Okay. Uh, so that's give you some nice you know uh, instant well i guess the uh, uh, benefits in that i get you know roadmap updates every quarter yep. and also importantly free ticket to reinvent <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll get to that relax don't get excited okay which is uh, pretty sweet um sorry no 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 sorry i was, I was gonna say how, how do you find so much time to invest yourself in all of this because i, I looked at your medium and you're really, really in the know of a lot of different facets. We're going to cover things on security, authentication, authorization, whatever. Mm-hmm. How, how do you find the time and how do you learn and hold that? Yeah, so I think in terms of learning, writing is a massive part of my process because um, you know, if I want to write about something and explain it in terms that anyone can pick up and understand, uh, yeah. it means that I need to understand it quite well myself and also as you're writing, you start to notice gaps in the knowledge. Okay. So you can't get the, quite, the sentences quite linked together. And uh, so I think that is also a big part of my learning process. Okay. But otherwise, uh, I like to do a lot of experiments. What, I, what you probably describe as an exploratory experiment to find, okay, I wonder how does that thing work? I wonder what happens when this thing fails and that, how that affects land and so on. Yep. Then I design this experiment. Uh, I, you know, I run it and test it. And then I kind of build up a better mental model of how things work under the hood. Uh, in terms okay. of finding the time, I you know I don't have a lot of a social life. <laughs> uh, I'm married, uh, we don't have kids, we have uh, no cats, so that doesn't mean that I have a lot of the, I guess a lot less social responsibilities. Yep. Um, so I do spend most of my free time just good for you writing stuff. I love that. Doing good code and good for you. Having fun. <laughs> T- tell us a little bit about some of the journey of working with companies mm-hmm. and where you've introduced companies now actually sorry before that let's talk about what actually is serverless Mm -hmm. for all of our listeners out there what is serverless and what does it mean 
So uh, when I think about serverless, I think about any technology where you don't have to think about provisioning, configuring servers, yep. so you don't have to configure scaling, uh, load balancing, all that stuff, and you don't have to worry about and pay for servers when you're not using them. Yep. Um, so I guess by def my definition for serverless is that a service that you don't pay for it when you don't use it, yep. uh, and that uh, you don't have to worry about provisioning and managing the underlying infrastructure for running your code. So I guess the you can you can classify things like DynamoDB, S3, okay. SQS, all of those in that same bracket, and that they are serverless, and uh, in terms of the actual functions. So that's where you have functions as service, which yep. is uh, quite closely related uh, sort of term. That's where you find things like Lambda, you find Google Cloud Functions, yep. Azure uh, Functions, and so on. So for me, that's what serverless means. Uh, in so it doesn't have to be you know. Function lambda, okay. but it can be other things. So long they have that same quality in terms of don't pay for it yeah. uh, when you not use it, and uh, don't worry about actually you know how what hardware it runs on, uh, what OS it runs on, and provision scaling all of that. Okay, um, Yubble's journey is quite prevalent uh, on medium for you. <laughs> Can, can we talk about that journey? I know you've worked with the zone mm -hmm. and helped them on their serverless journey as well. We won't talk about the zone so much, but Yubble's journey is quite prevalent. Can we talk about some of that at all? Yeah. Um, so Yubble was this uh, social network that I worked at in uh, 2016 okay. for about eight months until the company ran out of money. Okay. Um, but when I got there, it was an interesting case whereby it's a company that was well-funded, but then they squandered a lot of their funding uh, okay. on, I guess, poor hiring, some of the support technical organizational decisions. Yeah. So by the time we got in there, it was an app that was loaded with technical debt, um, not, no, not technical debt, technical mess. Okay. Um, with a system, with a scale, uh, you know, it's also really hard to maintain and uh, sort of debug. Um, so we looked at what we actually do in terms of the, the workload we're doing. Yeah. And that actually seems quite a you know, nice fit with the serverless paradigm and we should be able to go a lot faster okay. once we adjust a lot of the underlying technical issues that we had. So we had a few people join the team at that point and uh, we pretty much migrated the entire social network to run on serverless okay. uh, using all kinds of different services. Uh, Lambda being the most prominent, but yeah. at the same time, we use a lot of API gateway, a lot of kinesis for event processing, but also SNS, SQS, IoT core for very different kind of workloads. So before the company went under, we were actually in the process of publishing us as a use case, as a case study for AWS, yeah. because they found us very interesting in that we are we have a very broad range of different workloads, okay. all using serverless technologies. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, that never finished, and the company ran out of money and uh, went into administration. Um, so we didn't get the use case study finished. But that was where probably where I learned the most about what it actually takes to build something non-trivial and, and a complex service architecture. Okay. What What are the pros for devs mm -hmm. and businesses mm -hmm. using serverless? So for developers, you definitely, you, you, I mean, I spent a lot of my career just, you know, setting up EC2 instances, setting up all yep. the scaling, load balancers, or network configuration, all of that. And you find yourself spending a lot of your time on doing the things they need to do to get to the point of being able to do the things that the business actually wants you to do or the Fine. customer wants you yep. to do. So using server technology means that you can offload a lot of that responsibility to AWS, who can honestly do a much better job than most of us can anyway. Yep. And we focus our energy on doing the things that only we can do for our customers, delivering gotcha. features, delivering a better user experience and all of that, uh, whilst 
you can also save a lot of money. So from a business perspective, for a lot of the workloads that when you move them to serverless, yeah. because you don't pay for them when they're not running, so that means you can also save a lot of money as well for yeah. the right workload. You have yeah. to match the you know to the right workload. Okay. So at Yavo, when we moved to serverless, we found that our bill for Lambda was about five percent of what we pay for EC2 for the comparable amount of uh, you know, things we were doing. And uh, the same story you've heard uh, from I think uh, Financial Engine in the US again, yeah. massive savings uh, in terms of uh, cost. And uh, companies like iRobot they choose serverless for. One of the reasons was because of the cost efficiency. Yeah. And for them, it's very important because you know they don't charge you for the use of the cloud services. Fine. So they have to keep those uh, running costs as low as they can because they only charge you for the robots. Um, so from a business perspective, you get the benefit in terms of the product, uh, developers being more productive, yeah. you know, being able to deliver things faster and having hopefully saving some costs as well on AWS bill. Yeah. But from the sort of cost perspective, it's also important to understand that the fact that you only pay for things when they run means that you can now make more informed decisions yep. about what, gotcha. where do we optimize for cost. Okay. If it's something that runs a lot but doesn't cost us, well, doesn't run a lot, so there's no point optimizing it, yep. even if it's suboptimal. Whereas if it's some, a function that runs all the time yep. and it's, you know, that's where all of your cost is going to, then yep. you should just focus on uh, optimizing that one thing. Fine. And those are the kind of decisions that before it's just really hard to make because you can't quite pinpoint which bit of your infrastructure that is actually you know, costing all of your money because it's all shared you know, institute instances and your shared okay. infrastructure. Is, is there lack of clarity in infrastructure when it's non-serverless then? Are there dashboards yeah. and so forth to support you to see? You don't have the way to attribute costs to specific components Fine. in the same way that you can with a serverless technology. Gotcha. Uh, when you've got like a server that's running a, a thing, uh, well, it doesn't matter how many people use it, you're going to be paying for that. And yeah. also different ser uh, services use the same server, then you can't really use attribute the cost for individual features. So when it comes to working out the return on investment for individual features, yeah. you can't really make, you can't even work out how much it's really yeah, costing yeah, yeah. you to run that thing. And from the developers, you also get the sense that you, know, you are more productive, you're happier. So a lot of teams I work with, uh, they really, really want to work with serverless because there's so much less things you've got to worry about. Yeah. And uh, people tend to be more you know, happy and relaxed uh, when, when they don't have to worry about, oh, server going down and have to make sure they've got the right configurations yeah, and yeah. all of that stuff. Because it all happens automatically by you know, uh, managed by AWS. Okay, so uh, if a company's listening and they have a monolith, mm -hmm. what is the best way, or where do you start to think about going on your serverless journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the most important thing from a technical perspective is that you start by looking at the uh, at your business, your application, and trying yep. to find. Um, boundary context of basically an area where your system can be completely autonomous in terms okay. of and own the data that uh, you need to operate on and, and so that you can safely take that and then move into a separate service. Yeah. So I will also start with, um, especially when you're new to serverless, start with uh, areas where it's less business critical. Right. Okay. Because if you're new at something, the first time you use how to build anything, it's gonna suck. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna have problems. So uh, give yourself room to make those mistakes yeah, yeah, and yeah. not not have the mistake you know, hit you so hard that you can never yep. recover okay. from. So that is one step to think about. But also uh, understand that, especially for bigger companies, you can't just entirely rely on a technical solution to solve yep. all your problems. You also need to look at how your company is organized in terms of teams. Okay. Uh, and I've had 
I've seen companies whereby they move towards microservices, move yep. towards serverless, but things don't improve. They don't go any faster because you have the teams that are supposed to be able to, be able to own and operate on their services independently, but they all have to go through some central team to get infrastructure provision, to yep, get access right. to things. So all of those things uh, start to stop you. So it doesn't matter what technology advancement you use. It is down to the people as well. Absolutely. That. Any organization that develops uh, software or systems is a social technical organization. So okay. a social technical organism. So just looking at the technical side is yep. not never going to be good enough. The two of them feed on each other and help and reinforces each other. Good. So you have to look at how you organize your organization in terms of people, but also yep. how you allow people to work. You do want to give people more autonomy, in term, especially when you go serverless, because if the team have to go through some other team to provision all these different resources, then yep. you're going to take away a lot of benefits that you get from serverless in terms of having teams that are able to do more themselves okay. without having to Know, know, manage all these infrastructure themselves yep. and so on. Tech and people focused. Yep, absolutely. Good, okay. Hand in hand. Good. Um, what happens or what would you recommend if a company already has existing microservices and they want to move to serverless? What do you need to think about and consider then? Um, so again, start by finding microservices that has okay. got low business criticality, uh, allow yourself a chance to make mistakes. Because another thing I didn't mention is that for, especially for bigger companies, okay. uh, find, uh, find a team that uh, and use them as the pathfinder so that they find out all the sort of edge cases or the problems they're solved, especially uh, when going from uh, monolith to serverless. But yeah. going from microservice to serverless is, I find a lot easier because as you already experienced a lot of the challenges that microservices has in terms yep. of the complexity around the uh, uh, you know, debugging things, but also yep. in terms of the performance overhead yep. or talking to an API to API. So you understand those um, those challenges and you probably have really fast solutions for them yep. uh, for your containerized application. So now you just need to find solutions for the serverless that can still deliver the same quality, same characteristics, but maybe implement it differently because gotcha. With uh, the microservices, a lot of time you're looking at people that use uh, containers, you know, you're looking at sidecars and other service mesh and other things, which as a pattern, it works really well when you have yeah. access to the infrastructure, but when you move to serverless, you no longer have the same assets anymore, which means you have to find other solutions, which they do exist, yeah. but it doesn't mean that you should take your time to do some research before you go straight into it and try to use what you've known already yeah. and okay. try to live and shift the existing mindset, which is where oftentimes companies run into trouble because they are, they refuse to learn the new thing, how to work the new paradigm. Have you have you seen a couple of cases where companies smiling? Have you seen a couple of cases where companies have failed? Is maybe a strong word, um, but there's been a couple of moments where they thought, "Shit, this wasn't as easy as we thought." And can you share those with us? Because no doubt, people watching or companies watching. They might encounter those. <laughs> yeah, that's basically my entire business model. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, good. We like that. <laughs> so, as a consultant, oftentimes people engage me because engage me because they realize, okay, this is harder than we thought, yeah. or we are struggling, or you know, we run into trouble. Ideally, uh, people should engage me earlier as a consultant to help them find, well, basically tell them, you know, think about that, think about that, rather yeah. than, oh crap, uh, we've got a problem, so we can't, we can't do this. 
Um, but nonetheless, that seems to be what happens a lot of the time. Okay. Uh, where I come into companies, of course, I'm not going to name anybody and yeah. realize that okay, they either have, uh, for example, not just the people side of things. Yeah. So they have been using the same process that they've been using for others, uh, you know, how they've always been doing things. Yeah. Centralized teams controlling the gates of the, uh, the gates of the kingdom. And they find that, okay, other teams, when they move to service, they are just getting blocked constantly. Yeah. Uh, even though they themselves can move faster for the application, but they get stopped at the moment they uh, have to interact with the central game. team. Okay. Yeah. And then they also have companies that are not aware of the, some of the sort of, uh, good, good practices when it comes to serverless okay. and try to do lift and shift. And they find that, okay, they don't get the same performance uh, they, they were expecting. They don't, you know, they run into other issues in terms of uh, security, in terms of uh, uh, scalability yeah. because they just try to take the existing application and just try to run it inside Lambda as if it's just another container, Fine. Okay. for example. And also other issues such as um, uh, not understanding how so, you know, logging, monitoring, all the visibility side of things, how does that work with a serverless, which does require different mindset to think about them. Okay. Uh, you get a lot of things out of the box, but you do need to know about those things and also how to so go from, okay, uh, CloudWatch is okay, but We've lived, we've gone beyond that in terms of our complexity. What's the next thing available? Okay. Again, solutions are out there. Uh, they're well-defined solutions as well uh, with different caveats. Yeah. But you need to know what they are, and that's where often you know, myself would provide value because you know I've, I'm, I understand those, I understand the trade-offs, yep. and I can okay. give them more, um, I guess, useful feedback in terms of what they should be doing. Good. Okay. Um, you touched on observability, and that yep. probably falls into a really nice moment with what you're discussing next month in Vegas. Yep. Okay. So building observability in a serverless application, don't panic. This will be posted after AWS reInvent, right. so there's no, going to be no spoilers. But <laughs> can you talk to us about what you're going to talk about and maybe some of the key elements you have to think about when you're thinking about building observability? Yeah, sure. So the key thing about um, observability is that you have this ability to debug things and okay. figure out the issue when they do happen in production. And uh, one of the things, one of the sort of common mindset I see is uh, developers in terms of debugging, all they want is to be able to run everything locally and okay. then uh, just step through the code. And of course, uh, the moment your application is running in the cloud, well, you're going to lose all of that. Okay. So um, I so you need to have really good uh, well, you need to have good infrastructure in place so that you collect the logs for your, all your functions. You're writing good logs so that okay. they're easy to search and also they have uh, all the information you need. And then you also need to be able to you know uh, have um, uh, metrics that you can monitor things on. Uh, but also you know, having tracing and uh, alerting all those things that we already know how to do and they can be relatively easily replicated with serverless as well. You just have to know the right tools, the right paradigm to apply. And the ways people tend to struggle a little bit when you go to serverless is just existing tools requires you know installing an agent on the box, right. uh, which of course you can't. There's no way for you to install them anymore. Okay. And data collection is a different paradigm to uh, containerized or EC2 based uh, services. And in terms of what I'm going to be uh, talking about in, in the in the session uh, is a chalk talk, so it's more of a deep dive into a particular domain. So um, I'm going to talking about a lot of the tools that you get out of the box with AWS. Okay. You know, when to use them, how to use them well, and also what's the limitations. And also I'm gonna look at some other, some of the commercial uh, solutions. Uh, one of which is Lumigo because I'm also working those guys as okay. well. And um, also some open source tools, some of which I feel myself that okay. also helps you 
uh, apply good practices when it comes to logging and uh, supporting you know, correlation IDs through HTTP and asynchronous uh, workflows and how to make sure that all of that gets propagated to a central place in, uh, for all your logs so that you can easily find things uh, yeah. just using some, uh, some information you find from an error message or okay. from a customer feedback. Good, and um, what is your logging tool? Uh, this, it's not logging too, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a collection of library that uh, does a number of different things, including you know having a good lo uh, logger. Uh, it's called the Zone Lambda Power Tools. I like that. Uh, I it's like something that. that I developed before, and then uh, at the Zone, I kind of uh, packaged it even nicer. Just kept on going. And uh, open sourced it uh, just before I left the Zone. So um, it's a thing going well. Uh, it's got quite a nice adoption now. Good. Okay, I'll check it out after. Um, Testing and CICD, you're, mm -hmm. uh, you're obviously active on Twitter all the time, but I got you involved in a couple of conversations. Mm -hmm. Does the mindset change at all when you think about testing and CICD in a serverless environment? Mm -hmm. And what tools would you recommend and why? I appreciate that's probably dependent on what problems or applications you have, yep. but what would you recommend from your experience when it comes to testing and CICD? Right. So when it comes to testing, um, I guess the mindset you do have to think of change. You do have to change your mindset. Is I guess the similar kind of change in mindset when you go from monolith to microservices, okay. whereby you know the traditional wisdom is that you run a lot of unit tests, uh, few integration tests, and even few acceptance tests that are end to end. But when you go to microservices, uh, people start to realize that okay, your system becomes simpler, and simpler. You're dedicating more and more things to other services or other systems that you, right. uh, that, you that you write yourself. So you start writing fewer unit tests, okay. uh, but still a lot of integration tests, because that's where the problem tends to happen. Okay. Is when you sort when your code uh, start to integrate with other things, right. and then you also write fewer acceptance tests still because uh, they take long time to execute. I think the same mindset change applies to serverless as well. Okay. That the unit test just doesn't have a lot of return on investment because right. most of my functions are so simple that the stuff they don't have any complex business logic. I almost never write any unit tests unless I've got a bit of function that is quite complicated in terms yeah. of business logic, then I write unit tests for those. But I do have lots of integration tests that checks my code is doing the right thing when it comes to talking to DynamoDB or any other number of AWS services. Yeah. So that's one mindset change. And also for me, I I find that a lot of the time when you're writing tests that just relies on mocks, yeah. all your testing is the mock. Um, okay. So uh, as much as possible, I try to write my integration tests such that it talks to real AWS services. Yeah. Uh, where I do use mock still is when I want to simulate failure scenarios to try my code's error handling. Yeah. Uh, but also when I'm talking to internal services that are produced by my company where there's less stability and guarantee okay. about the contracts yeah, and all of that, then I'll still use mocks for those so just so that one person breaks one service, it doesn't affect everybody else. Uh, when it comes to CI/CD, I think what you find with a lot of these, you know, um, containerizer or you know, uh, EC2 based workload when yep. it comes to CI pipeline is that a lot of the work is actually in terms of bundling, okay. managing the artifacts and triggering deployments, doing blue green, all of that stuff. Which, thankfully, most of that is done by server by uh, uh, Lambda itself. The Good. whole you know, uploading artifact, a new artifact, just uploading to S3, yep. um, and the blue green, you just get it out of the box. And then the, the rest, in terms of some of the you know, um, packaging your code, all of that, some of the frameworks like server framework does all of that for you. Okay. So for me, most of the time, I have a very simple script that allows me to 
encapsulate all the different steps I want to do in my CD pipeline. CI/CD pipeline like running unit tests, uh, running uh, um, acceptance tests, and then doing deployment. And then I've just, all my CI is doing is calling to my script. Gotcha. And okay. then uh, that means I'm also not tied to any specific CI tool. I can easily switch from one to another without, because all the steps are really encapsulated into a simple script. So that's the kind of convention I tend to go with. Nice, good, okay. Big question, to VPC mm -hmm. or not to VPC? What do you think? has become a lot simpler because of the fact that AWS has changed the way VPC works. So okay. now for regions where this VPC enhancement has gone out to, you no longer have a 10 second cold start whenever you need a new ENI. Okay. So if you're operating in one of those regions, which as of this right now uh, is, I think Ohio, Tokyo, Frankfurt, uh, Ireland, and maybe a four, a few, uh, four others, uh, yep. relatively small regions, then VPC as much as you, uh, as you okay. need. Yep. Um, don't VPC, you know, just for the sake of it, uh, because Lambda is already protected by IAM, so you're not going to add gotcha. anything with just VPC, but it doesn't really hurt you as much as it used to. Everywhere else, for now, uh, until your region is updated with the hard VPC enhancement, uh, don't use VPC unless you really, really, really have to, because it's going to cost a lot of complexity and right. also uh, really painful cold start time. Okay. You touched on IAM. Yep. What, what sort of things do we or should companies and devs think about when it comes to security, mm -hmm. authorization, authentication, massive topics at the moment. Mm -hmm. Are there gaps for exploitation in serverless mm -hmm. or are you well protected or do devs have to do this themselves? How, how does it work? So security is, uh, as you mentioned, is a very big topic, but also it a very is. broad topic. There's, yeah. uh, all kind of different angles that attackers can get into. Uh, with serverless, the main the main thing that's improved a lot, and it's a really big thing, is that you longer no longer have to worry about the security of the underlying infrastructure, the server, the networking around the server, because Lambda is running on ultimate EC2 instances that are managed by AWS within right. their own VPC. So no one can just log on to a server that's running your Lambda function code gotcha. and you know, compromise it. But it doesn't mean that it does. Uh, but they don't do anything for your application level security. So if your code is vulnerable to, to SQL injection, yep. you're still gonna be vulnerable to SQL injection. Doesn't matter where your code runs on. Gotcha. Uh, so you still have to look after your application vulnerabilities and also importantly, the vulnerability in your dependencies. Yep. And that means uh, services like Sneak is really good in terms of helping you monitor your dependencies and also your transit dependencies yep. and looking out for known vulnerabilities. And then there are also other uh, um, commercial solutions for uh, serverless applications that are more specialized for the serverless workload, yeah. uh, things like uh, PureSec and um, Protego. So your Lambda function can still be compromised uh, through, for example, a code injection attack if you are vulnerable, vulnerable to that, or someone just compromising one of your NPM dependencies, okay. which we have seen happen multiple times. Right, okay. So one of the most important things uh, in terms of the, some of the high sort of top, uh, top uh, items to think about for serverless uh, security is that uh, make sure your functions have got the tightly controlled uh, uh, IAM permission. Yep. Don't use star for permissions for your Lambda function. Okay. Uh, be really restricted about what each function can do so that in the case it does get compromised, yep. at least you limit the blast radius in terms of what the attacker can actually do. Okay, gotcha. Um, and also another thing to think about just um, in terms of, uh, in, in that regard is that you want to use as much as possible 
one IAM role per function. So yep. that again, about providing the least amount of privilege for that individual function. But it's not just about your functions, but it's also about uh, your, your use or AWS service in, in okay. general. So if you're building APIs, uh, for internal APIs uh, that should only be used by your own system, yep. uh, use IAM to protect the endpoints. Yep. And then for anything that's user-facing that should be accessed by the client directly, use something like Cognito or custom or authorized function. Yep. And then um, everything else, if you're doing like a SaaS app that want to really limit your, uh, your clients, uh, then the use API keys. Um, API keys should be the, sort of the least thing, the least thing, the, the last thing you should use. Right. Okay. Um, and then uh, for you know, there's also you know uh, protection against the DDoS attacks, uh, making sure that you have a WAF enabled on CloudFront or API Gateway, and also enabling uh, throughput the uh, limits on your API endpoints. The I actually wrote a blog post recently talking about that the fact that the default throughput limits uh, just doesn't make sense. Okay. Uh, because it applies your regional limit on individual endpoints so that the okay. attacker just need one to take down all your APIs in the region. Wow, okay. So there's quite a lot of things to really think about because uh, again, you know, there's a lot of tools out there, but you need to know how to use them well. Understanding the concepts. Understanding the concept. Serverless or non-serverless, understand the concepts, yep. apply them. Yeah, serverless is a lot secure. It's a lot more secure yep. compared by comparison, uh, but they're still, uh, they, they can still still vulnerable to different forms of attack. And especially anything you do in your application, uh, you should still need to you know think about how this can be compromised. Okay. Because uh, even though someone might not compromise your infrastructure, they can compromise your application code okay. at the application level. What, what do you think is next for the serverless world? Um, good question. I am not 100% sure, but I do know that the, the number of blockers that people have today they will all be addressed in terms of them having more predictable performance, uh, okay. not having to worry about cold starts and uh, some of the other issues around just you know, general limits around scalability and other yeah. things. Uh, I'm sure all of those uh, in terms of you know, use cases that doesn't go well with service today, they're all gonna get fixed. We already saw things like you know, being able to do, do um, WebSockets easily with okay. serverless. Yeah. Uh, before that was you know, one of the things that you just couldn't really do with serverless where Fine. you have a persistent, uh, as, uh, uh, a connection where you have a persistent server and things like some of the machine learning workloads that are yeah. you know, not really well suited for service right now. I'm sure you know, the, the platform themselves is going to innovate Very and well. then make the things a lot better in terms of having you know, really quick and uh, quick access to large file uh, systems, maybe like EFS or something like that. Okay. But also just in terms of uh, the raw performance you can get from your functions, uh, okay. having more predictable uh, latencies, all of that. So I definitely know that those things are going to improve uh, massively. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, what else is going to come after that, um, I'm, I mean, personally, I'm hoping more things will be uh, to be sort of done for the step functions and other yep. things like that, which makes it easier for you to build applications and com just to compose them in certain uh, in more interesting ways. Yeah. Uh, because individual functions only gets you so far is when you need to compose things together. Step functions and SAR, I think SAR itself, a uh, service application repository itself, yeah, okay. uh, needs a lot more love uh, than it's what getting there. Step functions. So step function is an orchestration engine that allows you to sort of build up a workflow, okay. uh, such like a payment workflow that yeah. uh, then hooks into Lambda functions as well as other AWS services. Yeah. So they've made a lot of strikes towards that, but there's still issues around, you know, it's quite expensive for service, okay. probably one of the most expensive, I would say, on AWS. Okay. Um, so we typically, I typically use it for um, business critical workflows where I'm okay. happy to pay extra 
for the things it gives me. But yeah. for a lot of things, where I would like to use it for more, I guess, nicer programming model, nicer traceability, and all of that, yeah. it's just not a good fit because how expensive it is right. by comparison okay, so to other things. Effective. Are they looking to reduce those costs in future or make it more manageable or attractive? Right, Fingers okay. crossed. Good. Let's hope. Let's hope, yeah. If, if you had some advice for a yan that's coming into the industry now that that's a scary thought by the way um a yan coming into the industry so let's call them junior engineers okay. i don't like to label people too much but engineers coming into the industry mm -hmm. what's your best bit of advice for someone right now yeah so i actually wrote a blog post on this uh, yeah. recently and they had a really good uh, i guess response on dev doc too um, okay in terms of, I guess we should, no, you should go read that. Uh, yeah. But in terms of the sort of high level, the really sort of top, I guess, advice I'll give is that uh, as a junior developer, your again, your the biggest challenge is just earning the trust of the people around you. Okay. So one of the best way to do that, I find, is uh, find an area of the business that's area of your application or business that is a business critical and also b there's no good. Uh, domain experts in the in the team already, okay. especially in large companies, you find this all the time. Okay. Some really business critical application, uh, legacy system, nobody want to touch them, yeah. but they all have to interact with this somehow. So be the go-to guy on that system. Okay. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself much more valuable and held in high esteem in the team. And people are going to come to you to ask questions. Okay. And then that's when you know, okay, I've, I'm really being accepted and respected by my peers. I think that's super, that's a, that's a very important advice. Another thing I would also say is that um, choose when you're at least when you are still early on in your career, yeah. uh, prioritize learning over earning. Yes. I mean, once you become good at something, money is going to find you no matter what. Hundred percent. I say that myself as well, and I think, you know, uh, I th I think it's a really really tough tough point to touch yeah. at times because it's hard to understand that. But learning over earning, in your words, thousand percent. Yeah, when I uh, when I started my career, I started with uh, Credit Suisse, a big investment bank. Okay. And I was there for maybe two, three years. And then at that point, I realized, wait, people are doing all this crazy stuff outside, but I'm still building apps that's used by 20 people. And yeah. I'm, I'm not really learning as much as I should be. Uh, and at that point, I you know, to get out of the sort of banking sector, it was a, quite hard because you yeah. get typecast into the finance industry so that literally all I got offered for in terms of interviews was another bank down the road somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I was really lucky to eventually got an interview with Gamesys and moved there. Yeah. And that kind of changed my career projective. Um, but at the same time, I had to take a pretty significant pay cut to do that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the over, overall, the long, the, you know, the, the, the long term wise, uh, my career would be nowhere near where it is today if I just stick within banking and yeah. uh, take the good money that I had at the time. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Other end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. if you're a senior engineer, okay, sorry, no labels, but you're a more experienced engineer, what would you say to someone that's rising up the ranks to mm -hmm. continue continue doing, mm -hmm. stop doing, and again, I appreciate it's probably the emphasis on learning over earning, but what would you say go and do as a senior engineer? I would say for a senior engineer, and I've have seen this quite a lot as well, the senior engineer get to the point where they want career progression, but they don't know where to go. Um, uh, and you know, maybe they don't have the, uh, they don't know how to improve themselves to get to the next level in terms of become a principal, tech lead and so on. Okay. Um, one role would be to go to management, but then again, just because you're a good engineer, it doesn't make you a good manager and 100%. vice versa. 
And I would say if, if you're looking for career progression, but not in the sort of management track, then rethink how you did, what your role is as an engineer in terms of the value you, uh, you, uh, you, you provide. Yeah. Because uh, as senior engineers, we like to put our head down and just write code every day and we kind of measure ourselves in terms of our output, how many you know, new features we shipped, how many uh, lines of code that we're doing, how many, uh, you know, how many requests that we, you know, per second that we're improving the system on. That's all important, but that's just about execution. Companies hire engineers not just so that they produce more code. Yeah, uh, that is just what they do in order to deliver the actual thing that you want from them as a business, which is business value, which yeah. can be uh, more revenue streams. So it could be um, you know, improve the uh, improve the you know, user experience that increases yeah. revenue, all of that. And so you have to shift your mindset in terms of instead of how can I do more to optimize my output, how can I do more to improve improve my impact on the business gotcha and that's for example when i joined the zone as a principal engineer yeah uh during my my, my time there the, the i guess the most important thing i did to the company was to fix the recruitment process yeah was to build up the the brand for the uh, the, the developer community so yeah. that we can hire people more easily yeah. so my personal output as an engineer as a individual contributor was probably the lowest i've ever had in yeah. my career but i've had massive impact on the company by doing the things that needed to be done in order to help the company get to the point where they can deliver their vision. Yeah. So without doing that, those things, uh, you know, I guess uh, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't know each other, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah. And that the zones of trajectory would have been very different as well. So understand that you need to change your mindset and try to optimize your impact on the company. Yeah. If that doesn't, that probably doesn't require writing code. Yeah. And that's something that you have to be okay with and happy to do and start doing that your your impact for those guys touched tens of people many of people what what do you think the next scary thought again what would you think the next 12 months for you looks like um good question i like the answer to be i don't know <laughs> Fine. Okay. Um, okay so right now i'm doing a mix of uh, working with lumigo as a developer advocate yeah uh, helping to build up and strengthen the serverless community okay. um, at the same time also doing a uh, half probably spend half my time working with independent uh, direct clients yeah uh, so independent consultant helping them with you know adopting serverless for example so I imagine next 12 months I'll be probably doing more of the same uh, yeah. because this is a relatively new thing for me yeah. and I'm so far really enjoying it. Yeah, okay. And uh, companies or individuals listening, can we or they engage you in Europe or is it just London? Uh, they are, they have, no, they can engage me in all over Europe. Uh, I'm really happy to travel you know, anywhere in Europe. Uh, okay. I'm based in Amsterdam nowadays, so it becomes a really nice, easy hub to commute. Yeah. Uh, I also have got clients in the US uh, and uh, Australia where I do just remote uh, sessions. Um, so people can engage me for all kinds of different you know, okay. ways. Uh, I'm really happy to help people out. Uh, so long your project is mostly serverless. Uh, if you've got a containerized uh, container application that you want to build, maybe I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> okay, someone else, please. Um, <laughs> so I guess point being, EU, London, on site if needed, anywhere else worldwide, remote options. Yep. And day rates will obviously apply or sure. consultancy or fees apply. You've been a pleasure. Honestly, I, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. And you can catch Ian on Twitter and some other areas. I'll copy and paste his bits and pieces in.
Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure. See ya. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.